Good morning, everybody, and a very warm welcome to you on this Mother's Day, whether you're joining us here in the building or online. We're so glad that you've chosen to share with us today. Today, as Chris said, we're starting the series, the first um, entitled Famous Last Words. We tend to care very much about the last words that somebody says when there's someone that's very important as far as the world or history is concerned, or maybe somebody who's important to us personally. Last words are often the things that people hold on to as meaningful or significant in terms of lasting memories or legacies. So today we're going to be looking at some of the last words that Jesus uttered on the cross, words that he spoke to his mother Mary and to his friend John. Now, today's obviously Mother's Day, so there's a lot of focus on mums and what they mean to us and what makes a good mum. I love that video intro with the kids from the mouth of babes. Um, but here are some more funny observations about motherhood. Let's see how many of these you recognize. So, here we go. Don't be so hard on yourself. The mum in E.T. had an alien living in her house for weeks and didn't notice. Probably would be true of me. Um, and the next one, motherhood's like a fairy tale. But in reverse, you start out in a beautiful ball gown and you end up in stained rags cleaning up after little people. My kids can never make fun of me for teaching me how to use my phone because I taught them how to use a spoon. Good moms let their kids lick the beaters. Great moms turn them off first. <laughs> Being a mother of a teenager is finally understanding why some animals eat their young. No comment, still coming for me, right? You know that you're a mum when all you want for your birthday is for people to stop getting a new glass every time they need a drink. And you know you're a mum when someone else gets hurt and you cry. You know you're a mum when going to work feels like a holiday and going on holiday feels like work. Not all the time, obviously. You know you're a mum when you consider a permanent marker to be a weapon of mass destruction, right? So, behind that humour, and even in the video that we saw earlier, some of those touch on this idea, what the kids were saying, and what comes through in some of these as well, is that mums meet our needs, don't they, in so many ways. They take care of practical things, like feeding us and getting us to school on time when we were little, and making sure that we're okay when we don't feel good, and kindness, lots and lots of kindness. Great mothers are brave, but they're also courageous. I think a few of the kids picked up on that as well, didn't they? Even when they possibly don't feel it themselves. And I'm sure that you've heard this expression of mummy lion or mummy bear, right? There's something that's awakened in a mum when her cubs are threatened or endangered in some way. Good mums advocate tirelessly for their families. They provide security and discipline for their families to thrive in. And above all, they show love and compassion. And we hear it so often, don't we? It's almost a cliche, but it's true. Mums often put their own needs last. So we're going to discover how important Jesus' mother was to him and the influence that she had on him and how, in his very last moments, Jesus' compassion for her models how we should be, not only to our mums, but to everyone. If you're a Christian, a believer, Jesus is showing you how you can grow your faith by demonstrating compassion that goes way beyond anything that the world usually experiences. 
And if you're not a Christian, then you are so welcome with us. But this story will show you just how much God feels about you and how much he wants to care for you. So let's start at the beginning of Mary's story. Some of you know the story. As a young girl, she's engaged to be married to a man named Joseph. And she's visited and told by an angel that she's been chosen by God and she's going to fall pregnant with the son of God that she's going to call Jesus. Now, we must remember that this is at a time in the culture when they would mete out harsh judgment and probably even punishment for what would appear to have been a breach of her engagement vows and her purity. It was just not okay to be pregnant and not married, least of all with somebody else's child. But Mary showed incredible bravery and obedience in following God's plan. Here are some of the very famous sequence of events leading up to the birth of Jesus. Most of us see them played out every year around Christmas time in all the nativity plays and the stories. Mary's visited by the angel. She gets pregnant by God. She has to flee with her husband, Joseph, to their hometown of Bethlehem. And there she gives birth to Jesus in a stable. She's visited by the shepherds and the wise men. But let's think now about the years that follow on from that. Mary watches her son grow from boyhood to manhood. She stores up all of these moments and memories in her heart, right? We've got our phones, we snap lots of pictures and videos, probably more than our children will ever have the time to watch one day. But that's how we did it, right? A lot of us obviously still store those up. But this is what Mary did. She's keeping all of those special and close to her. And then this moment comes that we're going to read about shortly. The very worst parent's nightmare. Her son is about to meet his death, and there's absolutely nothing that she can do to stop it. She has been watching and seeing his cruel suffering, and she can't, as a mother, ease his pain or comfort him in his moments of greatest distress. What an incredible agony that must have been for her. She is watching as he is tortured and nailed to the cross. So, let's read some of the story as John describes it for us in the book of John, chapter 19, verses 25 to 27. This is John's eyewitness account of the life of Jesus, and it's found in the New Testament part of the Bible. Verse 25 says, Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there, and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, the disciple took her into his home. Do you notice here that Jesus sees her in the midst of his suffering? He sees her and he speaks to her. So let's unpack that a little bit more. The first thing that we learn is that love pays attention. And that's what Jesus did. He paid attention to his grieving mother. She was standing there at the foot of the cross watching him. Love pays attention. You've seen those movies, right, where there are two people in a crowd and there's so much activity going on, but all of a sudden these two people lock eyes and suddenly everything else seems to fade into the background and all they can see is each other. And this is kind of what happens in this moment. Jesus is dying on the cross and he ignores the multitude mocking him, the scoffers and the critics and the insults that are being thrown at him. He focuses in 
on his mother, gives her attention. Attention is one of the greatest gifts that you can give somebody. It's far more important than money or anything else. But why? Because when you give people attention, you're giving them your time and you're giving them your life. Your time is your life. You can usually get more money one way or another, hopefully legally, but you can't get more time. When you pay attention to somebody, you're treating them with respect and dignity. You're honoring them. When you don't pay them attention, you show disrespect. This wasn't in my notes when I was prepping, but I feel like I want to add it now. Unless you have recently joined us from another planet, you are intimately familiar with mobile phones, aren't you? All of us have, a, have one. Um, I have a work one and my personal one, and I carry both of them around with me almost all the time. I'm just thinking about this attention aspect here. You know, again, you've probably heard of all the studies that are done of the effect that having a mobile phone has when we're interacting with other people. How much of our attention it robs instead of looking at somebody and making eye contact with them, particularly the studies done with children. Okay? How many times just the presence of your phone on a table when you're having a conversation, even if you just glance at it when it buzzes, if you haven't got it on, on loud, right? It sends a message to the people that you're with that there's something that's probably more important than them. I'm guilty of it talking to my kids while I'm doing something on my phone. It's important. I need to just quickly do this or send this. And they don't have my attention or holding my phone when I'm talking to them. It's a signal that they are not the most important thing to me in that moment. Same with friends, families, partners, parents, right? Probably just a little challenge that I'm issuing to myself, but maybe to you as well, to think about again the importance of paying attention with regards to our phones and how much we model that for our children and how much we show respect and love to the people around us by putting them back in their rightful place and limiting how much they distract us. So the first act of love is that Jesus notices his mum and he pays attention. He's dying on the cross in this agonizing pain, but here he pays attention to his mum. So one of the reasons why the woman could get close to the cross when most of the disciples had fled away is because the disciples probably would have been arrested. In those days, in that culture, unfortunately, nobody much paid attention to the woman. They were like acquisitions. They were just things, really. If you were unmarried or you were widowed, like Mary was, Joseph had died a few years before, then you were lower than the lowest. So the Roman guards would pay no attention to women standing at the cross because they didn't consider them to be worthy of attention. Jesus, on the other hand, always raised the status of woman. Every time. It's one of the many ways that he totally reinvented the culture. He honored his mother first by simply paying attention and not just to his own pain, but looking out and seeing her in her pain and her grief. Do you know that Jesus pays attention to you? Do you realize that his eyes are on you? God is invested in you. He cares very deeply about you. 
And that brings me to my next point. The second thing that we see here is that love provides for needs. In a way, this is like Jesus' last will and testament before he dies on the cross and then comes back in the resurrection, the good bit. But what does Jesus do? He provides for his mother. Joseph, as we said, had died many years earlier, and Jesus knows that Mary is old, and she's poor, she's a widow, and she's going to need to be cared for. So even in the middle of his pain, he looks down and he says, John, I want you to take care of my mum. Mum, I want you to take care of my best friend. This is your new son. This is your new mother. He knew that by putting them together, he was creating a relationship in which both of them would benefit. In a way, Jesus had nothing to give his mother. He had no inheritance in terms of possessions, no money, no home to leave her. He doesn't even have the clothes on his back to leave her. He's got one set of them, and the Romans are busy gambling over it at the foot of the cross. So what does he do? Better than giving her things, he gives her the best gift that he can in that moment, care. And he takes the person that he trusts the most, and he takes the woman that he loves the most, his mother, and he says, you take care of her, and you take care of him. We know that those nails didn't hold him on the cross. It's love that held him on that cross, because he wasn't there to save himself. He's there to save us. He's there because of love. But he knows that Mary is a frail human being. She's going to need protection after his death. And here we have one of the most tender scenes in Scripture. Mary, the mother of Jesus, is watching her son being tortured, and John, his best friend, is standing there with her, and they're in agony. They're sad. They're overwhelmed with grief. They're heartbroken. Imagine the emotional package and pain and suffering that Mary had to go through her entire life just by being Jesus' mother. In the first place, she has this inexplicable birth. I mean, we're on the other side of it, but could you imagine believing the virgin birth if you were told about it for the first time? Not very many people did. So this illegitimate cloud covers her pregnancy the whole time. And then once the baby is born, at the end of the first week, she and Joseph take the baby to church, basically, to Jerusalem, to the temple, to be dedicated. And there Simeon comes out and he says... I need to tell you a little bit about this baby. And he foretells and predicts. He says, he's going to go through a life of suffering. And by the way, Mary, the sword is going to pierce your heart too. In other words, you're going to suffer right along with your son in that pain. So your son, your firstborn is only eight days old. And you're already being told that he's going to live a life of suffering. And that you, as his mother and parent, are going to suffer too. And the next thing, Jesus isn't even two years old, and the King Herod puts out a decree and says, I need to kill all the baby boys under two because that's the only way to protect this against this threat to my power. So Mary and Joseph have to flee as refugees to Egypt because the government wants to kill her baby. That's serious. And now, after all this time, at 30 years of age, Jesus starts his public ministry. He starts raising people from the dead and doing miracles. And then he goes back to his hometown of Nazareth, and he does the same miracles there, and he announces, I am the Son of God. And how is he met? The people who grew up with Jesus say, you're nuts. And they got so angry with him, they tried to push him off a cliff. Mary is watching all of this. 
all of her best friends and her townsfolk, and the kids that Jesus grew up with, trying to kill her son. And now this, tortured as a criminal. He's hanging on a cross, a gory, gruesome, bloody death. And she's at the foot. Jesus' hands are nail-pierced, but Mary's heart is pierced the way only a mother's heart can be. She's in major grief. Jesus looks down. And he pays attention to her in spite of his pain. And he provides for his, her needs in spite of his pain, comforts her in spite of his pain. Jesus shows up for and stands up for and speaks up for the people that he loves. We're honoring mothers today, and that's what great mums do, right? Everybody else flakes out. Mum is there, hanging in there with her son, holding on and standing there at the cross like a great mum. Because love shows up even when a loved one is being crucified. Let me also ask this. Isn't there such an important lesson being modelled for us here today? If I'm going to learn to love like Jesus... I must meet other people's needs even when mine aren't being met. That's a hard thing to do. Jesus had enormous emotional and spiritual needs hanging on that cross. We can't even imagine. His needs were not being met in that moment, but he made sure that other people's were. It's interesting that Jesus hanging on the cross doesn't say, I am sorry, I am in too much pain, I cannot help you with your pain. And Jesus doesn't say, I'm sorry, my purpose is too important. I can't help you with your pain. Listen, the most important task, the most important job, the most important assignment and goal ever in history was what Jesus was doing at this minute, paying for the sins of mankind. There is nothing that you and I will ever do that's more important than what Jesus did on the cross. So he has the most important task in history, and yet he makes time for his family. If you're tempted to say things like, or similar, I've only got six months to close this deal, so I'm not going to be able to pay much attention to my kids or my partner until it's over. And maybe it's the wrong deal or the wrong way of going about it, because God did not put you on the earth just to close deals. He put you on earth first to learn how to love so that you'd be ready for heaven. There's nothing that you will do that gives you the right to ignore your family. Nothing you will ever do will be more important than dying for the sins of mankind. And yet even in that, Jesus looks down and he says, I need to take care of my mum and my best friend. It's all about relationships. Your purpose is not greater than Jesus's. There's something amiss if your plans are more important and that you don't have time for relationships. You've probably missed the reason for life, learning how to love like Jesus. He's saying, my purpose is important, but I've still got to take care of the individual. Not, I'm sorry, my needs are not being met, so I'm not going to meet anybody else's, or I can't right now, I'm being crucified. He looks down, sees the need, and even in his pain, he says, I need to take care of that. Friends, what we're exploring together today is usually the exact opposite of what the world's value system says. These are kingdom values. These are Jesus' values. 
The world teaches that the more important you are or the more significant your work is, the less you have to care about the little people around you. Nobody expects the prime minister or the king to stop and help you change a tire, right? But Jesus says that is what real greatness is. Jesus is saying, it doesn't matter how important your task is, you're never too important to help people who are in need right next to you. That's the test of love. What does it mean to love like Jesus? Well, in Romans, which was a letter written by Paul, one of Jesus' first followers, chapter 15 and verses 2 to 3, we read, Each one of us needs to look after the good of people around us, asking ourselves, how can I help? When was the last time you asked that question? In whatever way. How can I help? So what am I telling you? We need to start looking for Jesus disguised in the people around as hurting people. Bible says, again in Romans 12, verse 13, when God's children are in need, be the one to help them out. Get into the habit of inviting guests home for dinner or, if they need lodging, for the night. Here's what I'd like you to do, a challenge. I want you to do something about this message. I want you to go and find somebody to help. shouldn't be that hard. Help them in a physical way. Help them in an emotional way. Help them in a practical way. Maybe next Sunday, invite them to church to help them in a spiritual way too. Because that's what it means to love. We're always looking around for people to help in any way that we can help them, so I challenge you to accept this. Find someone who needs care and comfort. Bring them into your small group. And let me just wrap up now by saying this about your pain. I don't know what it is, obviously. Maybe it's the loss of a loved one or a lost job. Maybe you're hurting physically. Maybe it's fear, panic, or depression that's grabbing hold of you. Maybe it's something that you desperately desire and long for, but you don't have the power to make happen for yourself. You've asked for such a long time. Let me say this about your pain. Number one. Jesus cares about your pain. You need to remember that. I mean, he really cares, and he gives it his full attention. He knows pain, and he understands suffering. Number two, don't handle it alone. You're never meant to handle your pain by yourself. You need to accept love from other people. You need to probably get into a small group or join a church family like this one. We'd love to have you if you aren't already a part of us. Most importantly, if you are in pain or feeling lost, you need to look to Jesus. Jesus wants to give you his very best. He gave his best to John and to his mother, but he could only give them his best if they were close to him, as he was probably whispering this to them from the cross. If you want God's best in your life, you've got to get close to Jesus because the answer to almost every one of your needs is at the foot of the cross. Of course, Mary and John didn't have to agree to what Jesus was offering. They could have refused and been left in their pain. No, thanks. That's not for me. I'll be fine as I am. But they didn't, of course. The gift of Jesus was offering to them needed to be accepted and responded to in the same way that you need to do that. If you aren't already a Jesus follower and believer, and you might want to do this for the very first time, 
Accept that gift that he's offering to you in everything that he's already done for you on the cross. He's provided a way for us to have a relationship with God. And if that is you, please come and talk to one of us after the service about this some more. I'd love to be able to share with you and pray with you. Jesus looks at each of us and he gives us unique, individual attention. Because what he did on the cross, he did for you and for me. He provides a way for us to be taken care of, a way for us to find a new life and a new way of living, hope. Just like Mary and John, when we become a part of God's family, we're adopted into this wider church of people who care for each other, who carry each other and learn together what it means to love like Jesus did. He loved us first. And he reaches out into our pain and our situations and he makes a way for us to come to him just exactly as we are.